and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. Thanks for joining us. My name's Dawn and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni. The conversation for this episode was recorded before the current extraordinary circumstances arose, but we thought it was important to still put it out, especially because there's some stuff in here that might be really helpful for people at the moment. So without further ado. But if maybe starting with Shauna and then moving on to Andrew, you could both tell me a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. That would be wonderful, please. So my name is Shauna Lee. I work, I teach in a early childhood education diploma and an honours four-year Bachelor of Child Development degree at Seneca College in Ontario, Canada. Uh, my background is a mix of working in early childhood education as well as working in intensive services mental health intervention. Um, I am a registered early childhood educator and hold a master's in early childhood studies and a PhD in educational psychology. Excellent, thanks. Um, and how about you, Andrew? How do do I follow that? (laughs) Um, uh, I'm Andrew Freeman um, and I'm an implementation consultant for Triple P UK. So my role is to support um, organisations and agencies that are delivering Triple P to help implement it within their systems and processes to essentially ensure that um, those local authorities, those commissioners um, get value for money but also sustainability. So what is being delivered um, is delivered in a in a focused and an organisational sort of focused way. Um, um, my background um, is quite varied. Um, I've worked within children and family services for probably around 15 years now. Started off in community development but that soon kind of went into youth work um, and then children's services uh, within local authority and independent sort of sectors. So I've worked in uh, local authority as a parenting development manager which was a very grand title um, as part of the Parenting Early Intervention Project. Um, um, within a local authority in the southwest, uh, then went to work within early years um, and early years policy within children's centres again within a local authority in the southwest of England, and then went into um, a slightly different area which was around working with um, uh, um, family support services, particularly around um, family assessment centres. So I was an Ofsted registered manager for a family assessment centre for a number of years. Um, and then went on to work for another independent provider and managed a, a range of services from alternative education, uh, special education needs and disabilities, contact services, and then um, came full circle and went to Triple P, uh, which is where it all started in my first role as parenting development manager. So a bit of a bit of a full circle journey, but a good one nonetheless. Wow! So between you, you both have an absolute world of experience in sort of children and young people and behaviour and and all of the things that sort of bring you both together with Triple P, that's, that's amazing. Um, what What is it that sort of makes you want to do the things that, that you do now? Um, is there anything in particular that sort of spurs you on when it comes to that, that career bit and, and why you've chosen to work in the area that you've chosen to work in? Um, for me, I think it's, um, um, I, I personally found it the most rewarding job to, to, to sort of be in when you're working directly with people um, and so um, 
sort of when I first embarked on my my career, if you liked, it was very kind of working directly with families, working directly with young people, and just seeing the, the, the differences that that that, um, that that they can make and, and work towards is just the most fulfilling thing, really. And to be able to sort of then um, sort of you know take that experience and, and apply it in different settings in different organisations is just something that, that, that's really appealed to me. I, I sort of have a um, an interest so in terms of my sort of academic background if you like I, I did a master's um, um, in professional development which focused on um, uh, leadership and management within children's services and, and so for me I think uh, the, the thing that really holds true for me is, is to keep those service users, the children, the families, the, the, the parents that we're supporting at the centre of everything that we do. Um, and, and so, the, yeah, that's just very, very sort of dear to me, really. That's great. Um, and that's, um, Shwana, you wrote an article for Cash Alumni about sort of how you ended up working within childhood education and um, from your background as a, as a parent and some of the experiences that you had um, as a parent. Is that still something that drives you in terms of your current role and the things that you do um, within early childhood? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, as per the article, um, I didn't intend to get into this sector at all initially. Uh, I had trained to be an air traffic controller, which sounds not so different from navigating an early learning classroom sometimes, <laughs> um, and the complexities of that. but. Um, I uh, got into this sector actually because uh, my son was struggling in school uh, behaviorally and we were not experiencing those challenges at home, which I know is often something when um, parents are saying we don't see it at home, that can be a disconnect sometimes between home and school. Um, and I really was trying to help advocate for his needs in school to try and figure out what was going on differently there. and. I was not really feeling very heard, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, and so I ended up feeling like if I didn't have a child development background uh, formally, I did not have the ability to be able to advocate for him in the depth that I was looking to do. And so I saw an advertisement for an early childhood education apprenticeship program, actually. and. Um, and return to school to study ECE. And what I realized through my studies was that he wasn't the only child that was struggling uh, in early learning environments. And um, then I went on and studied some more and realized that the educators were struggling supporting the children that were struggling. And then um, as I continued to further my education and my work experience, I, I saw this whole systemic challenge where even people in pre-service education who are um, trying to get the credentials to work in early learning and care often don't know how to respond when um, they're experiencing behavior that's difficult and so I can really see it as full circle um, so my interest is really in supporting uh, educators in supporting the children uh, to have positive experiences in early learning Excellent, thank you very much. And, and you've both mentioned sort of that continuous professional development piece there. So obviously, Andrew, you've got um, a master's degree in continuous professional development, um, which obviously in and of itself is a piece of continuous professional development. And Shauna, you've gone on from 
being a parent and having no early years education qualifications to now being a doctor um, within that realm. Um, what, what do you think it is that makes you both so interested in growing your knowledge and, and progressing with, within this sector? What, what is it that you think is so important about continuing to, to grow your skills and your knowledge? For me, I think um, I really realize uh, I didn't know when I was first starting into the sector how much there was to know. Um, and so I, it was really eye-opening to realize um, just how much vast knowledge there is uh, to continue to stay on top of and how quickly that can be changing. You know, even if you think about um, in early learning, our understanding of brain development in the last decade has just grown exponentially. And um, so I recognize that I have a moral and ethical obligation to maintain currency in my knowledge um, if I'm going to do right by these children. Yeah, no, I, th I think that the, the same for me, really, in terms of echoing Shauna's comments. And I think as well that, that you know, we as human nature, we continue to learn and evolve and develop. And so um, um, the field within which we work is, is, is certainly no different. And, and, and I think there's also a, a kind of a, an added sort of dynamic, if you like, in, in terms of the context within which we work, whether that be sort of an organisational or political um, sort of environment, that things don't stay, stay the same. And, and as Sean says, we have that sort of ethical, moral, moral sort of um, commitment to continue to, to keep learning as as professionals, um, but also on a, on a personal level um, um, to ensure the best possible outcomes for those that we're, we're working with. Brilliant, thank you. Um, and again, you've sort of both switched on the same thing there in terms of not knowing how much there is to know until you figure it out. So, um, Shwana, you specifically mentioned children's brain development and how much we've learned sort of over the last 10 years, really, um, in terms of the neural neurology of, of child brain development and that sort of neuroscience piece. Um, so, CASH have just launched some neuroscience early years education qualifications. Um, and that's obviously really popular at the minute is sort of looking more at the science behind how children learn and how their brains develop and how we can best support that within early childhood education. Um, and I know that that's something that you both look at quite closely in terms of the programmes that um, Triple P run. Um, do you think that not knowing what there is to know is one of the things that stops people getting help either with their practice or with their parenting because in a lot of society childcare is still thought of as being something that's really easy and sort of second nature to people. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I agree with you that a lot of times people don't realise how complex the job is. Um, I often will say that early childhood are early building brains and have dedicated their career to that. Um, and so when people uh, don't recognize care and education as so um, intricately entwined, it can be difficult to know what needs to be known. Um, in my experience, sometimes um, even when people are, are valuing and respecting all that there is to know, um, when things are difficult 
it can start to feel like they've tried and done everything that they're aware of um, and particularly if um, they're they're drawing from colleagues and they're asking colleagues what can I do in this situation and people feel at a loss uh, it can feel overwhelming in feeling like there's nothing to do and so I think sometimes that becomes a barrier as well uh, when people feel like they've done everything that there is and don't recognize that there might be some alternatives that um, just need to be fine-tuned or tried differently. And do you think the same is true of parents? I remember when um, I, I was first uh, appointed as the, the parenting development manager within within um, uh, the local authority within which I worked and the kind of internal terminology around that was the parenting expert um, and I was absolutely petrified by that term because I'd literally just become a parent for the first time myself and yet I was being <laughs> sort of uh, muted as the parenting expert within within that local authority area and I think that that, that, it, that the, 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 the job the role of being a parent is is that you know there's no job description there's there's um there's it's an incredibly daunting scary rewarding fulfilling sort of task and and when you take all of those kind of complexities and emotions um you it's impossible to know everything that you might need to know and it's only when that um you as a parent would reach uh, a crossroads or a crisis point or something where you need that additional support it's only then that you realize that you, that you need it and knowing not knowing where to look or knowing where to look is, is incredibly incredibly scary and i think um i think absolutely that 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 sometimes um that there is the myth um out there that you know if you need or are identified as needing or you request some kind of parenting support or advice no matter how sort of big or small then that's a negative thing and, and one of the things that certainly with 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 in our um, professional lives and working with 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 P is something around that actually it's okay it's okay to ask for support it's okay to receive it it's okay to be identified for it and it's about dispelling the myth that, 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 that that's a, a negative connotation because we all need help and support it, you know I play um, quite a lot of support and I'm by no means the best sportsman uh, I need lots of help and support in my training and, and all of that kind of thing and, and parenting is no different to, to, to anything else yeah did you have anything that adds to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, it just uh, made me think, I think you're absolutely right, Andrew. And um, one of the things that I see is sort of complicating this within the early learning professional is that these are professionals who have often had extensive training related to child development and supporting children in a early learning and care context. And so sometimes there can be um, a stigma or an embarrassment or a shame to feel like um, they're wanting to draw on new learning or new supports or resources um, because there's, you know, it's it, as you mentioned before, the sector itself isn't always widely respected. And so we're constantly advocating for this high level of respect for the hard work that we're doing. But at the same time, uh, if you're struggling, you feel vulnerable to admit that you're struggling. And so um, that can be at a disconnect a lot of times to kind of allow yourself to, to access that resource or those supports um, and not undermine the expertise and knowledge that you do have. Excellent, thanks. Um, in, in, again, you've, you've, we're both talking about um, practitioners and parents and asking for help, which is great. Um, 
obviously sometimes that's one and the same person um, and it might be that there's a practitioner who is excellent within the workplace and dealing with children that they've got that sort of practitioner-child relationship with um, but they may struggle with building a relationship with those parents to offer support. Um, equally I've come across practitioners who are incredible practitioners and have an excellent relationship with all of the children that they work with professionally but who are really struggling with some issues with their own children um, that because they're a practitioner who is lauded as being brilliant at their job working with children it can almost be more difficult to ask for help when it's their own child um, because it feels like a professional feeling that your own children aren't doing as they're told or you know acting in the way that you would expect them to in different situations um, do, do you feel that there are things that people can do or that there, there are interventions that people can make either to work more closely with parents as practitioners or to seek support as parents when you are a practitioner who maybe needs a little bit more help at home who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I think as as a sort of if I put my sort of practitioner sort of hat on, um, one of the the key things is that the, the parent is the expert for, for their own child, and and that um, um, that absolutely in that there is a there is a there can always be a situation where. That sort of professional life and personal life sort of sort of collide, and so that kind of being an expert in your own child doesn't quite fit what you're doing professionally <laughs> when you're working within within the early years and working within those within those settings. And I think I think absolutely, I think um, certainly in terms of the as I say as a practitioner, when I've sort of provided parenting support myself, it's about kind of allowing the, the sort of um, um, parents to actually kind of reflect and on themselves as parents and not as professionals and, and almost having that space and that time to make that distinction and beginning to really kind of understand what it is that the, that the issues that they might be having and understanding what that might be um, but yeah I think there's there's always that that kind of um, um, pressure and I suppose you know using my own personal example of you know kind of being the, labeled the parenting expert within the local authority within which I work but then going home and thinking oh my goodness how do I get my baby to sleep and bed and all of those kind of things it can it can really sort of be quite a, a sort of uh, an internal challenge um, for you and I think what I've learned is, is kind of being able to have that that sort of uh, time to reflect and, and, and kind of take stock of that situation. I agree and I don't know um, you'd asked about intervention so I don't know if this is appropriate to say so please cut me off if it's not. Um, one of the things um, that I've seen in the research I've been doing on the PEACE program um, is well a couple of things that are um, related to what you're talking about. Staff talking about a stronger um, relationship and more relying on parents as co-resources rather than feeling like um, like they're doing this alone so I think that that was really good but in terms of the the professional who is also a parent um, one of the things that came out from quite a few participants in the studies is that um, they initially were feeling very frustrated they would hold it all together in their work environment and then they would go home 
and uh, by their words say and then their kid would have it because um, they were so overwhelmed and so stressed at work uh, that they were frustrated when they were coming home and um, what they reported then after um, using the peace program is that they actually were finding um, resources and identifying some of the traps that they were falling into um, not just at work but also at <coughs> pardon me but also at home and it helped them to uh, feel more confident in their own parenting and more relaxed um, and that they found an added benefit both at home and professionally. Thanks and do you think that that's important for practitioners to sort of put themselves into yeah. the shoes of a parent um, and, and reflect that actually even parents who are excellent and know all of the things about child development and can fall into those pitfalls and can struggle um, because there is a relationship to be maintained there and a sort of a will to not have your children hate you um, and to do all of the different things that you want to do together. Um, do, you, do you think that there is that sort of knowledge versus reality um, in terms of being a parent and a practitioner? Um. I don't know that there's always a, a strong disconnect there. I, I think about practitioners who don't have children um, and I have observed them often be very um, empathetic to the, the plight of the parent. And so I think it's really about having realistic expectations in either environment. And part of those realistic expectations is looking at, um, you know, what is your own experience in this context, but what might be the experience of others? And I think that can play out whether it's with parents. Um, you know, I talked about myself where my son was struggling in school, but he really was not struggling at home. So when the school was trying to give me resources for home, um, you know, we didn't have 30 children in our home and in our living room. So it, it didn't feel appropriate. And so um, I think if people can recognize the context that they're in and what resources are available to them there, then that can also help. Um, we were talking a little bit about um, issues with parenting. Um, in the UK recently, there was a TV show on Channel 4 um, that was aired called Train Your Baby Like a Dog. And there was a lot of controversy around that because obviously we don't believe that behaviour is something that we should train out of children. It's something that we should address because behaviour is communication. It's that child telling us that something is wrong. Um, how do you work with that? You know, what what is um, your understanding of behaviour and and how children are, are using that to communicate? Um, is it something that we should just tell them to stop doing and get on with, um, or is it an indicator of something bigger? I I think uh, for me, it's exactly what you said around um, how they communicate. I think. I don't see behavior as either good or bad. It just is a function of communication. And sometimes um, the way children behave can be difficult for others, but it, I don't um, I don't align with the term um, bad child behavior or um, difficult behavior. It's difficult for the, the other person, not for the child. They're, com they're communicating uh, in the best way that they know how. 
So I think um, a big part around child guidance and teaching self-regulation and um, building self-confidence and, and efficacy relates to helping the children um, strengthen their ways of communication in ways that may be more appropriate for different contexts or different settings. Um, I, know, I know exactly the, uh, the program that you're, you're talking about and yeah I can only agree, agree with, um, with Sean and I think um, that yeah all, all behaviour is a, is a way of communication and I think what was equally equally worrying was was the, the 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 kind of principle that actually there's there's no um uh, sense of, of kind of reflection self-regulation on the part of, of the of the, the parent and the uh or, or the practitioner in those circumstances as well so so yeah i can only agree with with sean yeah actually that, that was, that's a really interesting point andrew that um there needs to be an element of um, self-awareness or self-regulation on behalf of that parent or that practitioner as well because their behaviour will inform how that child then responds or behaves because yeah. you are communicating with that child also. Um, is that something that there is support for for parents um, in terms of understanding a little bit more about their own parenting style or how they are interacting with their child or the, the sort of general sense of who they are that they're, they're communicating when they are talking to their own children yeah i mean yeah i mean it's certainly in terms of <clears throat> in terms of the work that um triple p does and, and 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 the programs within which which we um provide to to, to work with parents and support parents it, it's 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 kind of providing um <clears throat> opportunities for those parents to to reflect on their own um, um, sort of approach to, to parenting, look at um, um, kind of uh, their 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 own thoughts and feelings, and, and kind of what what they can contribute to that parenting situation as well. And I think Shauna mentioned their sort of self-efficacy, uh, personal agency. All of those things are the kind of the underpinning principles of, of, of Triple P, um, along with minimal sufficiency and uh, personal regulation and, and kind of being able to sort of manage how their approach can can have an effect on a um, on a situation whether that's some, a child's um, behavior or otherwise and, and absolutely and I think um, um, probably the, the sort of comment that I made uh, sort of earlier on is around kind of uh, that, that parent knows their, their, their child the best and as Sean has kind of alluded to with their own personal circumstance and it's being able to, to, to have the opportunity to kind of reflect on, on what that means for them in the context within which they're in. Um, um, so yeah, no, absolutely and I, and I think it's just, it, 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 it's just really important to, to recognize that that behavior is a is a, a way of communication and as you say Dawn, that, that that the way that that's responded to is communication back and then being able to to understand kind of that the the, the part that a parent or an earliest practitioner can have in terms of that personal social emotional development of, the, of that young person is really critical and important um, um, in in terms of managing those situations being in those situations Great. And would you say the same sort of thing's true for practitioners, Shauna, in that um, the communication style of a practitioner, whether they're working with parents or they're working with children or they're working um, sort of with other practitioners to share the knowledge, that that self-regulation piece is as important as teaching children how to self-regulate so that they can, so that you're aware of sort of your own hang-ups and, you know, communication issues. Um, 
in order to make those interactions as positive as possible. Absolutely. I feel like um, a lot of times uh, in sometimes professionals don't realize how significant their behaviors are in contributing to behaviors that they find challenging. And so, um, you know, whether it's something very simple from trying to organize the children to go outside and have, you know, all their 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 jacket and their hat and sunscreen or, or whatever on um, and they're they're trying to coordinate this whole group of children to go and then they're finally all ready and then they say okay just wait while I grab my coat you know something that simple where they're they're expecting the children to perform a certain way but then they're not modeling it uh, the same it can be a very mixed message for the children um, and so I think it does require the educator to be aware of their own um, how they're regulating themselves uh, in order to promote that regulation for others as well. You see often um, educators when they're seeking supports or when they're talking about what's happening in the classroom, sometimes they talk about things uh, from a language of, you know, trying to control the classroom or classroom management, things like that. And that goes against the grain of self-regulation and building that um, self-regulation within children and so I think if the educators are using language as you know well we need to use, learn some classroom management strategies or um, child behavior guidance uh, those types of strategies and don't recognize that even just the mindset of managing the classroom versus helping to teach the child to manage themselves or regulate themselves uh, that can be a huge barrier before they've even started any strategies. And do you think that that's a way that sort of to change that mindset? Because one of the arguments that we hear a lot um, in terms of not being able to necessarily serve the needs of each individual child is that when you've got a class of 30, um, you can't deal with children sort of individually. There has to be some sort of classroom management to work with that class size of 30 people. Do you think that it, it's a little bit of a a change of the, the mindset and looking really at practitioner first and the self-regulation and therefore co-regulation of that practitioner and group of children um, that can negate that a little bit um, because actually it shouldn't be about individually dealing with each child's issues it should be about that practitioner modeling that correct behavior and um, making sure that they're sort of looking after themselves and not getting to the end of their tether and you know being that common influence in, in general yeah I think it's um, it's a, a bit of a dance really isn't it where um, having the ability to uh, individualize the program for the children in a way that's meaningful for each of them as well as looking at the group of children as a whole uh, and I do believe that it does start with the practitioner and being aware of what they do have control over and what they don't um, the one thing that they do have control over or, or could work towards is their own self-regulation and how they're viewing and and perceiving children and uh, the circumstances that are had uh, the research will indicate that when educators are feeling flustered or overwhelmed or that they can't meet those needs of children when there's uh, complex, whether it's developmental or behavioral concerns, um, they actually start to respond in more adverse ways and um, are starting to use strategies that are 
um, counterproductive. And so we really need to start with changing the way that they're perceiving those children um, and those experiences. And then from there, looking at how to be able to individualize within that group context. So you, you mentioned about 30 children and the literature will indicate, and this is true for parents as well, where as little as five to 10 minutes quality one-on-one -on -one time during a day can make drastic differences to the behavior that they're experiencing as, as negative and uh, help the children to be able to self-regulate and communicate in a more effective way. And so thinking about the average day in an early learning setting where the staff have maybe eight hours and there's many, many things to accomplish in that eight hours, is there a way to tag off with a team member so that they can dedicate five minutes one-on-one -on -one particularly um, with those children, <clears throat> pardon me, with those children who um, are maybe uh, experiencing some challenges in the classroom. And it, it, when you think about how much time is often spent managing misbehavior, for lack of better words, um, just putting five or 10 minutes preventatively into that quality time with the children can make a huge shift to how the time is spent in the long run. Excellent. And, and this all sounds really simple. It all sounds like proper common sense stuff, but obviously I'm very aware that it is actually much more complicated than it sounds to make changes like that because there is a, a system, there is a, a sort of an established way of doing things to, to fight against. Um, in your experience, Andrew, in terms of putting programs into place within settings, within local authorities, within groups of people and um, what are the challenges that people tend to come across when they're trying to change an approach to something rather than just the result? I think that, that, that there's a couple of things really there's there's the the, the the traditional kind of this is the way that it's always been and then for always shall <laughs> um, and um, and also I think within particularly within the early years sector um, pressures around um, um, sort of staff staffing uh, and staff within early years settings um, and and consistency. Um, so I think all of the things that that Sean was just talking about there in terms of providing that that quality time, um, preventative time, if you like, to to, to children within those early years settings, um, is really valuable and really valuably done if it's with consistency as well. So the the, the, the child's own key worker or, or, or sort of nominated member of staff, so that there's that consistency across the day. And I think within um, certainly the organisations and, and settings that, that I'm working with, that there is a challenge in terms of kind of managing sort of um, staff turnover, staff sickness and all of those things and the effect that that can have on, on children. And I think there's also that willingness to, um, as I alluded to at the beginning, there's that willingness to, to kind of look at things differently, try things a bit differently, try different ways, see what works, see what doesn't work. Um, and I think it's about kind of, in, certainly in terms of my role as an implementation consultant, it's around facilitating those those members of staff, those practitioners, those educators, um, and those parents uh, to, to, to kind of begin to sort of think about, you know, um, um, if I, you know, what 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 are the things that we're wanting to achieve, and how could we, you know, what what part could I play in, in, in sort of achieving that? And so I think it's about sort of facilitating that conversation and beginning to understand what is it that that, that you need, um, what is it that you want to get from um, 
um, from this process, from this program, and sort of that that support being self-directed. Um, um, and I think being able to sort of facilitate that can can obviously means that it's kind of needs-led um, and that, that actually within the organisations which I'm working, you know, they're, 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 they're beginning to sort of identify what it is that they want and how they want to solve some of those problems or issues that they're facing as well. And so being able to sort of facilitate that conversation um, um, to enable that, that, that to happen. But I think there is that, that certainly within, within the UK, that kind of... Um, um, sort of pressure within those early year settings around kind of um, staffing ratios, training, all of that kind of thing. That's great. And do you think that it's difficult for people to recognise their own sort of hang-ups or the, the things that they are doing within their own sort of self-regulation or their own practice that are having that impact on the group of children that they're working with or even the colleagues that they're working with. And um, We've all worked with people who make us feel awful um, during the course of our day because of you know their de- demeanour or the way that they approach situations or deal with something that's difficult. Um, is, is that something that you generally you both find um, is, is, is hard for people to, to sort of either recognize or to maybe admit to and um, that they might be having an impact on other people's behavior or the way that other people interact with them I, I think that's hard for all of us really um, when you're in the moment it's hard to be able to to see what's happening sometimes and this is uh, you know the one thing I I really like about the, the piece or the triple P for parents is that there are elements in there that identify the traps that people are falling into uh, that are really common and a lot of times when people are seeing that on video and it's somebody else doing it it's easier to identify with yourself um, on what traps you might be falling into um, that you you hadn't previously been aware of Uh, sometimes it's just from drift from how you would have typically done things and other times it might be something that you thought was being effective that actually is not very effective and might accidentally be reinforcing the behavior that you don't want to see? I think, I think as Shauna mentioned, I think it's kind of those, um, I think you use the word accidental, um, and, and, and I sort of suggest that, you know, those that work within the early years uh, sector or even the children and families sector on a broader level, um, we don't do it for the money. <laughs> we do it because we, we want to make a positive difference and because we love working with, with children and families. And, and I think, um, um, as, as Shauna says, you know, it, 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 that that sort of practice can can affect us all. And I think that's one of the beauties, certainly with with the peace program, in terms of um, uh, working within early years settings, is that is that element of being able to sort of reflect and, and, and kind of look at your own practice and look at how that might um, um, uh, be different or how that might continue to be the same because it's having a positive effect. I think providing that opportunity, that space, that safe space and that mindset to be able to sort of self-reflect and, and to create an environment within which you can do that um, um, with others as well. Um, so creating that safe environment that, that actually, um, you know, you can work with colleagues, work with your peers to actually kind of look at kind of how you're working, what effect that might be having and, and how that might might, might change or, 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 or stay the same as I say if it's having a, a good effect. And I think it's just creating those safe working environments within those settings to allow that to happen. 
Excellent, thanks. And, and we've mentioned a couple of times um, the Triple P programme and the Peace programme, but we haven't told anybody what they are yet. Um, so I just want to make sure that the people do know what it is that we're talking about. So I don't know whether you want to explain one each or whether um, one of you just wants to give me a quick rundown of what Triple P is um, and what Peace is and sort of who they're for. Shall I do the Triple P one, Shauna? And... Sure, in the night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll yeah. Um, so essentially, Triple uh, uh, P is one of the the most effective and most well-known evidence-based um, parenting programs. Um, it was um, developed um, from the University of Queensland um, 30, 35 years ago, um, and um, has it's kind of a, a system, if you like, um, that's broadly. Um, uh, a number of programs. I think there's around 24 different programs now within the within the Triple P system. Um, that's a range of support that's available to parents either on a one-to-one basis, um, in, uh, available to parents on a group basis, or indeed online. So we've now got Triple P Online, which which offers that that sort of support as well. Essentially, the the sort of programs are, are split on sort of five levels. So if you imagine a, a triangle and at the base of that triangle. Um, um, you've got level one, which is essentially kind of a real um, breadth and reach, a more universal approach, if you like, to, to parenting support. And that's really looking at dispelling some of those myths around parenting, like I was talking about earlier, around kind of it's okay to ask for support, it's okay to receive support around parenting, and kind of just making parenting support okay. Um, and as you go up that sort of triangle up to the to the peak, as it were, the intensity. Um, of, uh, and focus of those programs um, 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 sort of uh, fo- focuses more on in levels of intensity. So um, um, you've got level two, level three, level four, level five, and so um, um, that really goes from that communication strategy that parents okay right through to um, seminars. Uh, where you're talking about broad um, parenting strategies, broad parenting issues uh, to, to a large number of people, through to more focused discussion groups or one-to-one about and just a, a more focused kind of one or two different different behaviours that the parents might need support with. Is that fair, Shauna, in a nutshell? Yeah, yeah that's a, a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, the, the whole premise, as you've mentioned before, Andrew, uh, the whole premise of the triple P system relies on that self-regulatory or minimal sufficiency approach. So it, it recognizes that um, parents do have the capacity to um, make leadership changes in their home that they see as most appropriate. And so it draws from um, parents' knowledge and skills and expertise to be able to help them to reach the goals that they're seeking to attain. And so to, to complement that is the PEACE program or the Positive Early Childhood Education program. And the PEACE program is um, designed, uh, well, it's recognizing that parents often spend, or sorry, children often spend more waking moments with their early learning and care providers than they do uh, with their parents, particularly at young ages. And so um, they play an important role in helping to um, support the child and uh, the child's development and in complementing positive parenting practices. And so seeking to have consistency between home and education 
uh, the PEACE program is designed to help uh, give strategies and skills to the early learning staff that they can use in their classroom um, to help promote the positive uh, development of the children and help to navigate situations that they find difficult um, but also that will complement what the parents are doing at home so there's different ways people can access the peace program um, they can either do it individually where it would be one staff who is working through the online modules um, so there's four one-hour online modules that they have access to and as they work through the exercises there's videos and self-reflection exercises and um, and some opportunities to um, grow your own professional development throughout and recognize what's working and what's not working in your work setting um, and people are answering the questions it's populating a, a resource guide or a book for themselves that they can then download and print and keep afterwards um, the other way to be able to access peace is through a team approach where multiple people would be participating in the online program but also somebody um, usually in a leadership role so a, a supervisor director or a consultant who supports the early learning uh, environment would train as a peace coach and um, similarly to what's happening with the parents where the practitioner would work with the parent and and help to coach through um, setting their goals and and reflecting on elements for success and for change the peace coach would do the same so they would go into the childcare classroom they would do an observation and meet with the staff afterwards to debrief on what's going well and what do they wish to change and how do they uh, use um, their own strategies and knowledge to be able to enact that change and then the third way to be able to access peace is what we refer to as community peace and that's where there's um, the peace uh, coach the team piece that all the staff are participating in and getting formalized coaching but also including the parent element so providing access to the parents to triple P in, in a way or uh, approach that suits them whether it's the online program that Andrew had mentioned or whether it's through providing groups or uh, providing one-on-one -on -one support um, basically building that connection or that bridge between home and school so that there's consistency in the language and the approaches that are being used. That's brilliant and, that, and that's really interesting Shona that you talk about that sort of bridge and that bit you know making sure that there is a relationship between what's going on in a setting and what's going on at home um, I think that's one of the things that um, practitioners often struggle with is that um, they can do amazing work with a child and bring a child on through lots of different parts of their development um, but then at the end of the day they lose them to home um, and maybe some of those um, bad habits or those things that they're not so keen on seeing within children's behaviour comes back with them the next day um, and it can be difficult to, to marry those two things together um, I think especially because a lot of the time practitioners don't get a lot of time to spend with parents because parents are busy and they'll just drop their children off on a morning and pick them up on a night time and don't necessarily have time to stay and have a, an in-depth conversation or a, a sort of a proper handover of what's gone on during that day with that child um, to be able to continue those practices at home. Um, do either of you have any tips for practitioners within nursery settings or childminders who are trying to bring parents along on that journey with the children in terms of 
how they can build with their relationships and instill some of those practices in a child's home life um, in terms of showing parents the benefit of some of those things or explaining how they work. Um, one of the things that I've noticed uh, in the research I've done with Peace is twofold. Um, one was is that often um, when things are not going as smoothly as they would like, staff um, sometimes see the parent as part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And so an example of that would be um, when I was doing interviews with uh, early learning providers and asking them to describe for me some of the experiences with children that they find challenging, often it would result in people responding about um, comments about the parents or that what's happening in the home environment and how that's made things difficult in their uh, work environment. And um, after they had participated in the peace program, when I asked that same question, they, they shifted the way they were talking about the parents to be thinking about the parents as partners and resources. And, um, and so I think in the absence of having a lot of time to be able to meet and talk with the parents, sometimes the trap that people fall into is they, they wait until problems arise before seeking to build that relationship in a meaningful way. So um, for example, that's when they're calling the parent in to sit and talk with them or making the phone call to the parent at work or, or doing the communication is when things are arising. When we really need to preventatively build that strength in the relationship before the problems arise so that um, the parent is hearing the things that are going well as well. Um, and can help them to reinforce some of those positive experiences with the staff rather than waiting until being reactive. The flip side also is that um, sometimes parents don't engage for a number of reasons to parenting support um, opportunities. And so I think that the staff need to also then model the value of um, that ongoing development and so we talked earlier about the value of professional development ongoing but um, specifically what I'm thinking here is the role that it has in destigmatizing and normalizing accessing support and so when we've got staff who are working through their own professional development and and learning and having some aha moments of things that they might do differently it provides um, an opportunity for parents to see that even professionals are, are looking for ongoing growth and it, this isn't as easy as it sometimes feels it should be. Um, children are changing and growing every moment of every day and their needs and the way we respond to them are often changing just as quickly. So when staff are using some strategies that then they can link in the parents, it just normalizes that experience overall. And thanks to you at home or on the go for joining us. Don't forget, if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great, um, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk. That's alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I, at cash, C-A-C-H-E for echo, .org.uk. And we'd love to speak to you. You can find us at the Cash Alumni website at www.cashalumni.org.uk through the main CASH website for information about qualifications and other CPD at www.cachevacle.org.uk. Thanks very much and until next time take care.